Hello, friends. Welcome back to How to Talk to Weirdos, where we discuss communication with people who are different than you. And since we're all unique, that's pretty much everyone. When someone has a different style of communication, they can seem like a weirdo. And if they seem that way to you, you probably seem that way to them. As I like to say, everyone's kind of a weirdo. We're going to talk about some of the assumptions that we make and other pitfalls of communication so that we can all improve. There's a lot to cover, so let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to How to Talk to Weirdos. Today's guest is Victoria Pelletier. You can let me know later if I pronounced that correctly. She's the founder and CEO of Unstoppable You, where she provides motivational and inspirational talks about leadership, diversity, and overcoming adversity. She's got experience as a senior executive and is also a board director, and I think on multiple boards. So wait, there's more. She is also a contributor to a book called Unstoppable, which has been number one seller on Amazon. She's got a new book coming out soon called Influence Unleashed, and it's already available for pre-order. Victoria, we're excited to have you here. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, so did I pronounce your name correctly? Pretty close. Peltier. Cl close enough. Great. Thank you. <laughs> And I kind of had to pick and choose um, from all the things that you do and have done. So are there any things in the introduction that I missed? <laughs> well, I describe myself, Jeremy, as a multi-potentialite, meaning very diverse interests and many of them. So uh, mom, wife, fitness fanatic, wine lover, foodie. Uh, those are a few that we could add to that. Wine lover, foodie, and fitness fanatic go together very well. That's, yes, that's a, the fitness that's helps balance. compensate for the other, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, I'm with you on all of those things. So you have an upcoming book called Influence Unleashed. Can you share what caused you to write it and um, give us a sneak preview? Absolutely. So the, the book is essentially about personal branding, and I decided to write it. It is a topic I speak on regularly from a keynote perspective and I coach others on. Uh, and I'm in career transition from the corporate day job, if you will. And so I had some capacity and one, and also I continue to see people going about it in what I believe is in the wrong way. So I thought, let me share the 20 plus years of experience I have doing it. I don't even think I had the vernacular 24 years ago when I really started on this journey, uh, but gained it and learned how to be much more effective at it to the point where when I was at IBM, um, I LinkedIn had ranked me as the number one social seller worldwide for all of IBM employees. And therefore, they asked me to develop training for other executives. So I thought, let me kind of lean in. I'm not very good at being idle. So while I'm in career transition, let me lean into this and get some stuff down on paper and audiobook uh, for those who prefer that, uh, that format uh, to learn more around how to create a brand, but also with a focus on legacy and impact as well. I would imagine that a lot of people listening to a podcast are fans of audiobooks. So good choice. And do you <laughs> read right. that yourself? I did. I did. It uh, was way more, um, I'll say difficult than I anticipated. And uh, as a public speaker, but I remember doing whole sections that I was just like, I messed up a word. And, uh, you know, eight takes later, uh, I got it right. <laughs> so the lessons that you learned from recording the audiobook were any of those lessons that then translate into day-to-day -day communication and or public speaking? Uh, it. 
My challenge always is that I'm a fast talker. And so I've always been aware of that and the need to slow down. Uh, and so very much had to do that and consciously remind myself, although I'm thankful for the audiobook formats that let you go at three quarter speed, or in my case, I listen at one and a half times speed most of the time, um, as I'm listening to, uh, to books. Uh, and so that helped me practice something that I'm aware is a, an opportunity for me in my professional life and sometimes even on stages. I like the way you called it an opportunity. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, I have a friend who I never knew you could listen to podcasts at, at different speeds. And he told me that he listens at double speed. And so I tried it and I got up to double speed and I could kind of keep up, but not really. So now I go about 1.3 times. I think it depends on who the talker is, because I will vary between one and a quarter and two. Yeah. I'm a little bit of a slow talker, which sometimes is a problem, but it all works out. So in this book, you have a number of lessons. Can you share a couple of those or some highlights? Yeah, for sure. I I, um, I start by talking about what I refer to as the three acts of engagement. So before you even go on this journey, you need to do three things. You need to be prepared to be courageous. You're going to need to be vulnerable and you need to be authentic. So that just kind of foundationally, but really it's about kind of the four areas of personal branding and where I said earlier, I feel like people get it wrong as they focus only on the first and it's the easiest part. It's the, like what you do, what's your subject matter expertise, what functional role are you in or what industry do you know best? A lot e and, and easy because it's fairly fact-based. This is the experience you have, the education you have. Uh, and that's where I see most people when I look at their LinkedIn profiles, even that one-liner under their profile is their usually job title. And mm -hmm. we are so much more than that, recognizing that people do business with people they like and they trust and they want to be doing business with. And so the other foundational elements are around who you are as a person, what some storytelling your interests, values, passions, some of the lived experiences and stories you're willing to share. And then the next one is what makes you different from others. There's lots of people who do what I do and have, you know, C-suite experience in similar industries, but why would they choose to hire my team or myself versus another? So getting very clear at how you're different than others. And so for me, one of those is um, I operate with radical candor. I love the, the book from Kim Scott. I was operating with that always. And I just picked up that vernacular once I read her book. But that's very different. As I work with like CEOs, I, I remember telling one last year and like, Patrick, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. And this isn't why you hired my team. And so that builds trust. Um, but I'm also very different from others that are in the B2B professional services or management consulting space. So figure out what your differentiation is, your unique value proposition. And then the last one is, to some extent, starting with the end in mind, think about what do you want to be known for? Legacy and impact. You know, that they'll often refer to it as the, you know, the hash, hashtag, like on your tombstone, what's it going to say? For me, it's not going to talk about 18 mergers and acquisitions that I've had to date and like sales and revenue and gross profit. I'd rather talk about, you know, how I bettered, you know, the workplaces, the community and the world at large. And, oh, I raised two really good human beings. 
I like that. So there's there's a lot in there to talk about, and I I'm not going to remember all the questions. Um, but those are all scary. Those are scary things to share. It's a lot easier to share. Here are my business experiences. Sharing some of your personal experiences and things that shaped you. I know I struggle with it. So I wrote a book about growing up as the youngest of ten kids, and it was horrifying to release that. And none of it's terrible. Um, but now all these people can know all these things about me, and it's very scary. But it's important, you know, in the podcast as well. It's important to share these things, um, but it's scary to do. It is, and that's why I said you need to start with, you know, courage um, in determining how you want to curate and narrate the the brand in which you want to be known for. The um, remind me again, the last thing that you were talking about, oh, was legacy. Um, you know, one of the things I talk to people when I'm doing coaching is I have them come up with a personal mission statement, and it, it's kind of what you were just talking about when. You know, if you could hear your own eulogy, what would you hope that people are saying about you? And it's a real struggle for a lot of people to think that far down the road. How do you get people to really embrace that and think about it? Uh, it um, it it depends on age and stage. To some extent, I think about you know my twenty three, almost twenty four year old son. As I talk to him, I'll tell everyone you need to start building your brand as early as possible. You know, at 23, he's not thinking about that. Um, and nor maybe was I, or actually, I think I probably was, but my definition of it was very different than it started to evolve into in my 30s and now into my 40s. And so it's, I, I would describe it very much in the way you're doing, Jeremy, with your clients around, like, what would you want people to say about you? And again, that's not going going to be for for the most part not unless you're like um, you know Jeff Bezos and you're like massive like corporate success and you know billionaire sure that's going to become part of the story but but beyond that what did you do with that so if i'm going to stick on the bezos thing like from a philanthropic perspective what did you do from a culture perspective like it's it's more it's so much more and so um it is thinking about the end in mind as much as we don't want to be thinking about that and that we're living forever um but even if it's not the eulogy, I, I, I often think about like, what, what do people say about you when you're not in the room? Mm -hmm. And I had to make a course correction, I think because I became an executive at such an early age. Uh, so I was like the youngest by a couple of decades. And I was the only woman at that time. You know, I wasn't going to show you that I was vulnerable and uh, that I had emotions. I didn't want anyone questioning I was soft or weak and why I was here and earned my seat at the table. And so I, I learned my, my nickname was the Iron Maiden. And I was like, ooh. like, ooh, yes, yes, ooh. I'm like, that is not me. My best friend has nicknamed <laughs> me the turtle and that I have a tough exterior. I'm extremely resilient, but I'm like all soft and marshmallowy on the inside. I cry at like Humane Society commercials. And so I had to, I had to show up in a very different way. So not only was it like that, and this is 20 something, like the digital presence wasn't as prevalent then, but I had to show up in a very different way in person, online, and start to do things that made me uncomfortable because that is not what I wanted to pe people to be calling me behind my back. I like that. I like the way you described it. And what I found are, you know, an example I use very often are people who are willing to ask questions and show that they don't know things are the ones who generally get the most respect because they're 
they're confident enough to put out there that they don't know and ask the questions. And it's similar with showing vulnerability. If you are strong enough to show vulnerability, it shows how strong you are and it, it gains people's respect. Yeah, it, it does for sure. I think that's, um, for me, as you said, talking about things you don't know about, like I'm very comfortable going, I don't know what I don't know. Um, and I surround my pe myself with people who I hope know a heck of a lot more than I do. And we've got complementary experience and skills. And that's what, you know, that's why I, one of the reasons I'm like such a proponent of diversity, of the riches that it, that it brings and for, for, and safety and security for people to then be able to say, I don't know, but, you know, so-and-so sitting beside me has some great experience and maybe can, you know, lend some information. It's a trap that a lot of corporations and divisions fall into, though, hiring people just like them, because the people who are different feel like they're always challenging them and it's uncomfortable. So is there a way that you help people get comfortable with the diversity? Well, first of all, I will coach business leaders that it's not just the right thing to do and they tick in the box when you're reporting on ESG initiatives. Um, the reality is it does drive better business outcomes. So I need them to start thinking that way. Uh, and then to be what I refer to as strategically intentional around how they build their, not just their diversity programs, but the inclusion or sense of belonging. Too many of them are focused on bringing diverse talent in the door, but not keeping them there, not developing them and creating a safe place where they feel like they can show up their whole authentic selves. And, and in some cases that might be, to your point, challenging them as well, bringing a very different perspective from a very different work or lived experience to the table. Uh, and, but that's a, that's a mind shift. And in some cases that then becomes a leadership coaching opportunity with them, uh, to get them leading in a very different way and trying to focus on much more of a growth mindset. And sometimes it takes getting down to numbers. Um, I've done some research on ESG initiatives and boards that have two or more women on them are something like 30% more profitable on average than boards that don't. I don't know the exact number, but it's astounding. And when, when people kind of start to dismiss it, and then you bring facts to show how much diversity really profits a business, sometimes that's what it takes to get them to start listening. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, and conversely, uh, you know, showing just how far the, the needle has not moved. Right. So we, you know, came into um, 2023, I'll, I'll soon see the new stats for the beginning of 2024, but Fortune 500 companies last year, we went into 2023 with only 10% female CEOs of those 500 companies. And actually, there are a couple retired or left, so that number even declined over the year. Uh, and I think there were only six black CEOs. Uh, so clearly, wow. we have so much more to do to truly advance um, our business world to be really representative of like the communities we're living in. Do you know, since you seem to study it over the past 20 years, has it gotten better? Is it heading in the right direction, at least? Uh, it's better, uh, for sure. Um, and now there's 
commit. I'm, I'm not a fan of like mandating people to do the right thing, but sadly right. it's likely what, so whether it's, you know, the S and P or NASDAQ who's mandating that there be a certain number of women on the boards or people from other diverse backgrounds, whether it be LGBT or people of color, et cetera. But without that, I'm just not sure that we'll, that we're going to get there. And sadly, we're um, still 60, six zero years away from achieving pay equity um, in North America, 60 and like a hundred plus in other parts of the world. Uh, and so that's, that it has improved. Sorry. So I'm not to sound like so negative here, Jeremy, as they say that, but the reality is we're still very, very far in 2024 from, you know, what's, you know, 53% of, um, you know, our population are women. Um, so we're very far from where, uh, we need to be. Well, it's good that you are coaching and getting people to move in that direction. So thank you for that help. Thank you. So getting back to your book. If mm -hmm. I understood from what I read about it, it seems like some of what you talk about are using your own personal stories in a business setting. Am I understanding that correctly? And if so, tell me more about that. Uh I, I do very much. So when it so although I'm I'm educating people on personal branding that foundational elements, how to go about, start to, you know, build the brand. Once you've established it, where and how do you do it? How do you measure impact? So yes, it's a how-to guide, but throughout it, there is storytelling uh, of my own personal stories of what I've learned, the failures I've had, the pivots I've had to make from others whom I've seen do it well. I also, you know, take a look at other people. I talk about thought leaders who I think are doing it exceptionally well. Uh, but always there's a connection around with storytelling. So I think whether um, it's when I stand on stages uh, or whether I'm in a corporate boardroom or in this case in a book, I want people to feel engaged with the content, in this case, through a nonfiction educational book. I, um, when I was younger, I was about 26 and I had Cisco Systems, the networking company, as my client. I was going out there with my boss and we were meeting with a number of people. He had a lot of life experience. So anything that the other person said, like I used, I love skiing. He would pull out a picture of a resort that he goes to in Vail. Or they would say, I love deep sea fishing. And he's like, oh, this is the boat that I went on where I caught this 300 pounds, such and such. And I was 26, 27. And we were taking people out to dinner. I'm like, I have nothing. I have no stories. I have none of that. He's like, oh, yeah, you do. You've, you've, you're the youngest of 10 kids. You've got stories. Focus on that because everyone can relate. And sure enough, the stories about business lessons that I learned from, you know, the leadership of my mom or my brothers or sisters were way more powerful than the picture of his resort in Vail or anything like that. Personal stories have so much rich, deep content that I, I try to encourage people to delve into that and use it more and more, but it, it takes pushing people to actually do it. It does. It does. I think um, it's recognizing two things um, or, or two things I'd say about that. One is um, it builds connection with people 
And so that that's why we tell stories. Um, and in this case, ones that are personal. So we're, you know, we're also showing some vulnerability. Um, but then the second part of that, and to part of our earlier conversation, like it's uncomfortable to do this and to know where where's the balance of that because you're opening yourself up. And so I, I think that growth doesn't come if we don't step into our discomfort. So I encourage people, not just from a branding perspective, but in life uh, to be doing that regularly. So when you're talking about influence and personal branding, how much, um, how much of a connection is based on the personal stories and how important is that in building credibility? Well, credibility comes um, in, a, in a bunch of different ways. So, I mean, there's, there's credibility in the, if we're talking in a professional context, in the what you do that's a result of the experience you've had, maybe it's the credentials or education that you've had, um, the successes and outcomes that you've delivered. And so one, you do actually need to tell stories or real life stories of those successes and outcomes. So there's a uh, humility, um, but a little bit of humble brag that needs to come out that helps build credibility. Uh, but the other part of credibility is trust. And so again, the storytelling um, that builds a connection where people without knowing that you're not going to tell their secrets, they like, they trust you because you're open enough with them. That coupled with the expertise and the outcomes you've delivered, those two together comes and is what breeds um, credibility in you as an individual and you as a thought leader or subject matter expert. I like that. I've also found that being willing, you mentioned it earlier, to talk about some failures or stumbles that you've had and then the lessons that you learned and, and how you got over it shows, hey, you know, I've been exactly where you are and I've, I've done these things too, but here's where we can go from here. Yeah, exactly. I, I spent a lot of my career in, in the B2B space. So, you know, selling, whether it's consulting or technology or some kind of services. And so the ability to exactly, as you said, show them. I've sat exactly where you are, um, and in in some cases, and here's how I feel. Here's what I learned from it, and I'm bringing this to you uh, to make sure you you know your you or your organization aren't in that same spot. So, Victoria, I have looked at your website and Instagram and LinkedIn, and you are you've done quite a few things and a lot of interviews. Are there any topics that you wish people would ask you about more often that just don't come up that much? Uh, I'm from Canada originally. I'm surprised I don't get more questions uh, about uh, my Canadian culture and heritage and um, my hockey playing. You play hockey? <laughs> For 20 years. I didn't pick it really? up until I was in my early 20s, but yeah. Oh, that's a tough time to pick up. A sport like that. Yeah. Well, I knew how to skate. Um, I just never done it with a hockey stick in my hand, but my ex played. And so it was something that we could do together. Uh, and I enjoyed it. Um, and it was the first thing I, I'm the A type personality that I am, which I'm sure your listeners would be shocked um, after that <laughs> to, to learn. But it was, um, I generally didn't like to do things I didn't perform very well at. Hockey was initially the exception for me. Um, I was never the worst player on the ice. 
Um, I, but I was in the bottom third initially and I just kept at it. I just loved it. Um, so I was able to rise to probably the top third, um, at a like recreational level anyways. It's so much fun. Nice. That, that was a good little tidbit. So where do you live now? I live in Miami beach now. So I just kept getting further and further okay. South from Toronto. I've been between yeah. Toronto and New York, most of my adult life. And then, uh, I'm just one of those people who in COVID, you know, fled South because I could, and I was in a global role. So it didn't matter where I was based. And have coming from Canada and living as far South in America as you can in the U S anyway, um, have you found any cultural differences that have either been entertaining or challenging? Yes. Uh, so particularly here in Miami, um, I am shocked that everyone seems to be okay with the fact that everyone runs late all the time here. <laughs> and now like I live by my calendar and everyone's just accepted it. So like I remember meeting with our general contractor for some renovations and I remember saying to him, Andy, it's two o'clock and this is a real two o'clock. This is not a Miami two o'clock because I have a call at three. I said to him. And so that is one just shocker uh, for me down here, particularly because there's a ton of New Yorkers that are down here and they wouldn't accept that up in New York. Uh, so that's one. And then the other, and I know we're not going to get into a political conversation, but I'm very proud um, from of Canada from a cultural perspective and its acceptance from a diversity perspective. And although Miami and Miami Beach are a bit of a bubble for the rest of Florida, um, I struggle. Um, with that here um, in the state. I am a terminally on-time person. It drives me crazy to be late. And I remember one time feeling awful. I was meeting someone for coffee, of all things. So it wasn't a crucial meeting. And I came running in. I'm like, I'm so sorry I'm late. And he looked at his watch. He said, you are 45 seconds late. I'm going to let it go. I'm like, all right, <laughs> thank you. But I was so worried about it. All right, Victoria, before we wrap up, I've got three questions I like to ask everyone. The first okay. is part A and B. What is a place you have loved to travel to and a place you haven't been yet but would love to go? I love traveling to Europe. Love, love it. I could see myself living there someday. Uh, and that I haven't been um, to Australia and New Zealand. I really want to visit, but that's a heck of a long journey to get there. Yeah, that's it. Should be a three-week trip anyway. Yes. And where, where in Europe do you love? Uh, uh, France is my favorite. Uh, and I just went to Italy. My best friend and I had a girl's trip uh, last year for her, uh, a big milestone birthday for her. And, uh, and she's half Italian, so she made sure she showed me all around where her family's originally from. So that was great. But definitely France, um, probably south of France, would now be my fave. Love it. I lived in Milan for a year for work and I got to travel all around Europe on the company's dime. So that was, that was a good year. Oh, lucky you. Yeah. So question number two is who do you think is a great communicator? And it can be just someone in your personal life or a public figure. Hmm. Um, I think Barack Obama is a great communicator, uh, for a host of reasons, not just, um, the content. Now he has speech writers. Like I do get that, but there, I, we talked about engagement. There's just something around the way he engages with people. And I think if you've ever seen him like on, on a one-to-one, -one, like he just, he makes, I, I feel like everyone feels special in that moment, which I think that in itself is a, a gift. It is. And you're not the first person who's 
who's mentioned him. Hmm. And the third one is what is one piece of communication advice that you think everyone can benefit from? Um, well, we talked about it, the importance of storytelling, um, in, and not just for people who stand up on stages or, um, you know, the, the best communicators that we're talking about, but in our everyday lives and how that builds connection and trust. Perfect. All right, Victoria, where can people find out more about you and or reach out to contact you? Uh, so I have a website which will allow them to connect with me on all, whatever other social platforms they choose. And the website is victoria-peltier.com. Great. I will put that in the show notes. It has been an absolute pleasure having you here today. I can't wait to read your book when it comes out. When is it coming out, by the way? February 12th. February 12th. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of How to Talk to Weirdos. Hopefully you found it both interesting and useful. If either of those things is true, please share. Do you have a friend or a coworker who could benefit from listening? Maybe a family member you're going to be spending the holidays with? Please send them a link to your favorite episode and see if your conversations don't get just a little bit easier. I would really appreciate it. Thank you so much and have a great week.